to have sort of a sermon in two parts today, and so we'll think about something here in the beginning and work to our scripture and then see what comes out of that. Uh, but I wanted to think just for a moment here on Christ the King Sunday about the gospel, about the nature of the gospel. Um, maybe six weeks ago, got a book, read a book, which is, which is really good and really helpful on the gospel. And um, it was sort of positioning itself to, to clarify for us that often um, when we hear presentations of the gospel, they tend to focus on us a lot, trying to encourage a response of some sort. It wants to think about, okay, now um, how do you respond to this? Will you say yes to this? Will you ask Christ into your heart? Will you ask God to lead and guide your life? Um, it's setting the cross before us and the world behind us and calling us forward, and it focuses on our efforts and our movement and our saying yes and amen to Jesus. But the gospel um, isn't first about us, actually. It's first about God and what God has done. And if you look at the word gospel and go far enough back, it actually existed before uh, Jesus. This word gospel had a meaning embedded in the world before um, it became associated, especially in our minds, with, uh, with Christianity, with the conversion, with the turning to believe in the Lord. And that ancient meaning uh, primarily had to do with the arrival of a new king. And so when a king would conquer, you could imagine a, you know, a Caesar doing battle with someone and then coming to conquer a new territory or coming to rule a new area, the king or the Caesar or whomever would send out a herald. Uh, there's, there's this um, Tom Hanks movie that came out, I don't know, six months ago, uh, and he would go around and read the news. I forget the title of it. Have you seen this advertised, maybe? Uh, his job was, this was like 1800s, he would go around and news, read the news in towns because they, some of them couldn't read or didn't have access to paper. So he was kind of functioning in this role of herald. He would come and announce news that had actually taken place months ago, but the people hadn't heard about yet. In the same way, these heralds would go around and announce that there is a new king, and he has conquered, and now this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom that exists. And so the most important parts of a gospel were who the new king is, what the king has done, and then what the expectations of this new king are for the people living in his territory. And I made a subtle point a month ago, as we were thinking about the Ten Commandments. We just finished this you know, series on the Ten Commandments, which begin, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then, you shall have no the gods before me. So it begins with who God is, the Lord. What God has done, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then tells you what the Ten Commandments... So the Ten Commandments, the giving of them, are actually a gospel, aren't they? The good news about the new king who's brought him to freedom and what expectations are for living in that kingdom. All of that points us towards Christ, where the fullness of the gospel comes. And we have spent um, a year retracing the story of Christ's life. 
And on this last Sunday of the church calendar, Christ the King Sunday, we recognize that Jesus is now enthroned in the heavens. I think it was um, John Donne, a poet from some centuries ago, who wrote a series of sonnets, uh, of poems, called The Corona. That probably sounds familiar. (laughs) Right? It it meant the crown. So you probably heard, right, that the coronavirus is called corona because it's shaped like, it looks like a crown, structure of it. Right? So he writes this series of poems called The Corona, The Crown. And in them, there's seven events in the life of Jesus. that begin. He begins with the annunciation, the announcement to Mary that she will bear the Christ child and then moves to the baptism and moves to the transfiguration and moves to the cross and to Golgotha and the tomb, which was then empty with the resurrection and moves to uh, the ascension and then Pentecost. And, and he binds all these together. This is like the crown of Christ. It's what he has accomplished. It's, it's who he is as fully God and fully man, but it's also what he has done. It's part of the gospel contained in these poems. And he links them by connecting the last line of one poem with the first line of the next to show that they're not separate things, but they're unified. And this life of Christ indeed is His crowning glory. It's the glory of Christ, the life that He has lived. And we celebrate all that on Christ the King Sunday. We announce the gospel that there's a King and that He's victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And as we recognize that today, bending our knee to the Lord of heaven and earth, bowing down to the one who sits enthroned between the cherubim, the one who receives the angelic worship, doing that, now we can begin to say, oh yes, and how can I participate in this? Now we can respond. But first we recognize the two parts of that. Who is this one? Who are you, Lord? And what have you done? And now how can we be a part? So I think we needed to recognize the gospel first this morning. Recognizing Christ as King before we can now move into our passage, which I hope will be some of that, how do we participate in this new kingdom, this new domain over which Christ is King? So I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew 25. Verses 31 through 46. It speaks to us of that last judgment when the king will return. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his rights, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or strange or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and our true king. Amen. So here's the next part. Um, Remembering that today is Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday in the church year. Uh, What began a year ago with whispers of a coming Messiah last Advent has now grown into a rousing chorus of universal praise offered to the one who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And this annual passage through time has witnessed a virgin birth, a baptism in the Jordan, miraculous healing, food multiplied, and divine teaching passing out of the mouth of one who is also fully human. A trial, a crucifixion, a terrified guard in an empty tomb pressed disciples to the breaking point and then raised them up in peace and with joy. Jesus ascended, the Spirit descended, Christ took His seat as Lord of heaven and earth, of reality seen and unseen by us. And one day, we shall see Him again as He comes in glory to judge all things. And today, because of who He is and what He has done, we worship Christ the King. I've got to be honest, when I think of Christ the King Sunday, I immediately think of glory. God's glory, Christ's glory. I'm drawn to John's revelation uh, and the images of the divine throne room and the heavenly worship carried out by saints and angels alike. It reminds me of an article I read Monday morning on one of these old sets of prayers belonging to the church, one that I pray many days of the week. These are called the Trisagion prayers. If you break that word apart, Hagios is holy and trice, well, you get three. The thrice holy hymn is another way of speaking of it, which addresses God saying, Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy 
on us. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal, have mercy on us. It said three times. This prayer picks up a thread from Isaiah chapter 6 and also again from Revelation, which glimpses into that high and holy worship that is eternal in the heavens, which sees the angel singing this holy, holy, holy declaration to God, which we led off with as our first hymn this morning. And we also incidentally pick up that holy, holy, holy Lord God of heaven and earth each time we come to this table. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These three holies are declared three times, so that's nine total, which corresponds to the nineness of the angelic hierarchy, which we see demonstrated in the scriptures, but also through a teaching of this fellow named St. Dionysius, the Areopagite. And explained by him why you have these, this threeness here in terms of purification, illumination, and perfection, which again is the pattern of our worship. We come in, confess our sin. We then turn to the scriptures and are illumined, and we ultimately come to this table and are united in perfect union with Christ. When I think of Christ the King Sunday, I think of Christ's glory, and I'm reminded that we participate in the kingdom of the King through our worship of that King. As we too cry out glory and holy, 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 and pass through these uh, movements of purification, illumination, and perfection. But this morning's passage confuses me a little. Because that's what I usually think about. But this throws me off. It also speaks of a day when that high King Jesus will return, judging those on the left and on the right, and passing judgment on the quick, as our creed puts it, which means living and the dead. This Matthew 25 passage is that famous one wherein the king reveals to us at the end of time the paradoxical shape of reality. On that day when the king comes back and returns, he will tell us that not only has he been enthroned between the cherubim, receiving the worship of the heavenly host, as it cries out glory and holy, 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 on that day He will also reveal to us that He was present in all the other places we never would have guessed. For He is truly everywhere and fills all things. And that our worship of Him, our participation in His kingdom, extends even to the highways and the byways, to prisons made of bars and prisons made of hunger, to desert lands where there is no water, and into lives whose clothes fit poorly if there are clothes to be had at all. That's not what I usually think about when I think of the king. Those are not usually the places I typically think to seek him. It is where a poet and pastor by the name of Malcolm Geit thinks we might find Jesus. Uh, he uh, he kind of looks like a hobbit. He has a YouTube channel too, interesting, which hobbits don't have, so he can't be. Right? <laughs> He's written a sonnet for us. <clears throat> a sonnet whose structure makes possible paradox and juxtaposition because you have these pairing of lines that seemingly don't fit together but are brought into conversation. A sonnet whose words hold in tension the glory of Christ our King and His humility 
that indeed is the very thing that has made him worthy as we trace out his life. And in fact, shows the point of his kingship, which is fill, to fill the earth with his glory. The poem holds in tension our desire to worship Christ on high, but also our tendency to hold back from seeking and seeing him in the lives of those made in his image. Here is how Geit riffs on Matthew 25, our passage from this morning. Our king is calling from the hungry furrows, which means ditches, whilst we are cruising through the aisles of plenty. Our hoardings screen us from the man of sorrows. Our soundtracks drown his murmur, I'm thirsty. He stands in line to sign in as a stranger and seek a welcome from the world he made. We see him only as a threat, a danger. He asks for clothes. We strip search him instead. And if he should fall sick, then we take care that he does not infect our private health. We lock him in the prisons of our fear lest he unlock the prison of our wealth. But still on Sunday we shall stand and sing the praises of our hidden lording. King. To which I say, <clears throat> ouch, Malcolm. <laughs> what begins with our king calling from the hungry furrows is soon revealed to be all those around us, the hungry, the thirsty, those ill-clad, that stranger who would not welcome the sick. Those are Christ. And still we gather on Sunday to worship God our King, though we are shut off from the places He might be. Yes, on this Sunday we stand and sing the praises of our hidden Lord and King. Though when I tend to imagine first through the lens of John's heavenly description, but rarely through the words Christ Himself gives us in regards to His presence in the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the stranger, the prisoner. Perhaps our king is not so hidden after all. Maybe, maybe we, maybe I have just stopped looking for him in the places and the people where he's promised to be found. Places he's promised to be precisely because he is also in simultaneously enthroned in the heavens. So if you are like me, uh, and the last year has just been so difficult and strange that you've tried your best just to keep your head up, just to keep your eyes focused upwards, just to set your gaze upon the one who we believe rules over all time and space, over each and every circumstance of our life, good or bad, anything in between. We believe and confess that this Jesus whom God has raised up and who rules in power and has conquered all that stands against us, even wearing those strange and broken crowns of this world, like coronavirus. You know, we, we believe that ultimately Jesus is victorious over pandemics, broken and sinful society, a fractured and a dying world. We believe that. But it is also important, all of us who have been seeking to keep our eyes turned upward, to remember that Jesus is victorious 
precisely through the power of his love. He is not a Caesar who comes and destroys and swings a club until there's no one else to stand against him and conquers in this way. No, Jesus comes and conquers his victorious precisely through love, which draws near to all these who hunger, thirst, are sick and in prison. Jesus draws near to these and bears all of this and he enters in compassionately and tenderly. It is good to remember all of that because as we try to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, seated on high, it will eventually occur to us at some point that to participate in his kingdom means not just to worship him and to look to him on Sundays and feast days and Christ the King days, but also to worship him and participate in his life as that life continues now in the world through those who cry out in need of hope and love and peace and truth. Maybe it's good to have poets who can present to us the tension and the paradox of the Christ who is both lowly and also full of glory. Who comes to us weak as a babe in a manger. That's what we're getting ready to talk about, isn't it? And yet holds the keys to death and hell. Maybe today we can share with the God who out of love speaks and worlds emerge and yet who stands silent before his accusers dying even to forgive the lies that they used to dismiss him. Perhaps this year as we stand and sing holy, holy, holy on Christ the King Sunday, we will be able to sing in such a way that we do not drown the hushed murmurs of the King who calls to us through our brothers and sisters, I am thirsty. Maybe as we move into a new year, new church year, and we spent the last year shut away, closed off, in quarantine, Maybe as we move into a new year, we can serve this king as faithful citizens of his kingdom, eager to share that satiating and life-giving water that comes without price. The truth is, though, that we will have to leave the sanctuary to do that. Can you hear his voice as it calls? Maybe it comes to us through the broken English of a bunch of international students moving next door. Can you hear his voice as it calls? It does sound like the king is beckoning us towards the hungry furrows. Because his kingdom extends from there even to the heights of heaven and everywhere in between. Let's not fail to worship that one who calls to you. Let's not fail to worship him both in word and in deed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.